Hi, welcome to The Catch-Up with me, Amanda. And me, Christina. Each episode will cover a topic that has picked our interest. It could be anything from food or beauty. To TV shows and current affairs. Join us as we begin our catch-up. Hey, Amanda. So as you know, it was International Women's Day a couple of weeks ago on the 8th of March. And you might remember we put up our own Choose to Challenge challenge on our social media account about what we're going to do to support women throughout this year. And since then, London and actually the rest of the UK has been gripped by the disappearance and murder of Sarah Everett. She was a woman walking home at night at nine o'clock in Clapham in South London to her home in Brixton, also in South London, a journey that would have taken around 50 minutes and she disappeared around the 30 minutes mark. And she was found dead and murdered a week later by actually a policeman. Since her disappearance, women have been sharing their stories on social media about the encounters of sexual assault and harassments. It's backed a lot of outrage about mistreatment of women day to day in the society. So I think we're going to talk about the case today a little bit, but more importantly, we want to talk about how women are being viewed in society and what we can do about it as a collective, whether you're men or women. Initially, I thought, oh, you know, it was just going to be one of those cases. She disappeared, she got assaulted, and something has happened. And I didn't really think too much more about it until as the week progressed and women started sharing more and more of the stories and it's being covered a lot more in the media about their encounters. And then I started thinking, oh, you know, she was 33. She was, you know, just walking home like we would. I could have been her. I think that's really got to me this time. You know, women talked a lot about, like, she was doing the right thing. She was walking through Brightly Road. She called her boyfriend to let him know what was going on. And she still disappeared. I was a little bit fed up by the end of all this. I wonder what your reaction was. Yeah, it was very scary, you know, to think, as you said, that that could have easily been you or I. And, it, you know, obviously in the days when we used to be able to meet up and then we make our way home uh, independently, individually, you don't generally want to have to think about your safety too much. I mean, obviously we're sensible, we take the necessary precautions. But as you said, this case has really highlighted that something as innocuous as walking home at night during the weekday as a woman, it's a, it's a heightened thing now. It's become one of those things that you just think, oh, now I have to what, constantly look over my shoulder. Do I have to, you know, learn specific tactics to make sure that I can get from my journey A to B because of what could potentially happen in between? I mean, the risk has always been there, but it just feels like that it's never improved over the the, sort of the course of time and that, you know, our trust in other people, and I guess, you know, not to demonise men, but particularly men, you know, as a statistic show, there's a lot of violence against women. And we just want to know that we can go about and do our things without the need of necessarily walking around in groups or with like a bodyguard next to us. So, you know, as you said, the Sarah Everard case is very sad and it has highlighted that. It's really brought it to the forefront of people's minds. Hopefully where she is now, that as sad as it is for her and her family, you know, she's realised that something 
tangible has come from this. You know, mm-hmm. people are now really, as you said, speaking out, raising their voices, challenging the system the way it is, government, the authorities, what are we doing about it? And I know what you mean by saying kind of it was one of those cases that you almost think, oh, it's almost commonplace. Okay, so something's happened to someone, someone's potentially disappeared. You know, it's quite sad. But as you said, it's been scrutinised. And as the course of the week has gone on, it's just really hit home, hasn't it? Especially seeing all the women come out in the forces, you know, supporting each other. And just off the back of International Women's Day as well, mm-hmm. it all feels very sort of applicable. But, you know, apart from what's happened here in the UK, there's been other things that have been going on around the world as well, you know, because it is a global issue, let's say. And you've probably heard about it too. I mean, back home in Australia, uh, there's been what's called the March for Justice March. And what spurred the women on to do that was because there's been a recent wave of allegations of sexual assault, which to, you know, a lot of people's surprise has actually been around the Australian Parliament. And, you know, that's probably one of the places that you would think that's least likely to happen, you know, that the people that are there, they're trustworthy, you know, they're official. And the the protests, you know, they were organised, how long, about a week ago or so now, and it was the Attorney General uh, that he was the subject of a rape allegation back in 1988, which he does deny. But since then, there's been another separate case her name is Brittany Higgins, and she was an ex-political advisor, and she made an allegation that in February she was raped in a minister's office back in 2019. So obviously these sorts of events have culminated, and it's it's fueled a lot of public anger. I agree. I think a lot is to do with the system structure. In the case of Australian Parliament, these are world leaders, people in power, people in a position of trust, as you said, and they have abused that trust, that power that they've been given. One of the slogans for the march in Australia is enough is enough. And you really feel that sentiment that this has been going on for far too long. We keep talking about the same issue. We keep circling around the same safety measures. The issue is on women or whatever it is. It's just not moving forward. And enough is really enough. Yeah. So it got me thinking, you know, we touched on International Women's Day and Jess Phillip, one of the MPs in the UK Parliament, she did an opening statement for International Women's Day debate. And each year she reads up the name of the women who were victims of or murdered by their partner or someone as a result of sexual assaults or sexual crimes. And I just want to read a little bit about her opening statements, which put the issue at heart of what's happening. So just a bit of a statement here. We count the vaccines done, the number of people on benefits, we rule or oppose based on accounts, and we obsessively track that data. We love to count data of our own popularity. However, we don't currently count dead women. Dead women is a thing we've all just accepted as part of our daily lives. Dead women is just one of those things. Killed women are not vanishing rare. Killed women are common. It's really sad to hear, isn't it? Yeah. It does strike exactly at the heart of the issue, as you said, and it's probably, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not responsible for sometimes thinking about, you know, my mindset is, as we said, with the case, it's become part of daily life that you almost become desensitised to it and almost accept it, that it is normality. But 
we need to get away from that, don't we? That's that's the thing. We we need to raise these as actual issues that need to be addressed. And that's why I think, you know, obviously as sad as all these things that have happened to these women, I'm hoping something good will come out of it that, you know, will enforce a change, you know, will spur that change. I mean, statistically speaking, every year, and, uh, you know, this is something pulled obviously from, from Google, not from my head, but 85,000 women will experience rape, attempted rape, or sexual assault by penetration, and that's in England and Wales alone. So that's according to the, the crime survey for England and Wales. And only about 15% of those who actually experience sexual violence will report it to the police. So, you know, that's quite mm-hmm. a low percentage. And you have to ask, what well, begs the question, why that is. Is it because, you know, women are fearful for reporting it? That probably one of the, the biggest factors is that people won't believe them. Yeah. Or that, unfortunately, there's this misconception that, and it's an old age one, oh, she was asking for it. Or did you see the way she dressed? Or, you know, she was flirting. No one asks to be raped or sexually assaulted. Yeah. No one does that. No, of course not. And on that, I saw women talking about, how was I asking for it when I got assaulted walking on the street in the morning? Crazy. It's not limited to time or location. Or um, how could I, you know, say I was asking for it when I was just minding my own business, traveling on the tube to work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very age-old thinking, and I think that needs to change. As we said, enough is enough, and very systemic, isn't it? Like, mm. you know, the low reporting rates is also to do with the trust in the system that, or mistrust that nothing really will come of it. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, what the number of reports? How many of them do convert to actual charges made? As we said, we all this talk, and the reason why we are, are talking about it too, is because we want to affect change. We want to make a difference. We want to encourage people to speak out and to say that there are not just women, but men supporting you as well in all this. I mean, so practically speaking, obviously, you know, we've said there's a lot of things going on at the moment and, and the risk can always be there. Is there any particular, you know, safety measures that you take, any tips that you might have, anything that you've been shown? I think I do it very subconsciously because I think at a very young age it's been ingrained to us that, oh, we need to be careful because, you know, stranger danger. Yeah. One of the things I do, and I don't even realise until I start thinking about it, is I deliberately walk on the big roads, even if that means it's going to take me longer to get somewhere. If I know there's a shortcut and it cuts through a dark street or an alleyway and I can't see to the other side of it, I won't take it, even though I know that's probably going to save me a lot of time. But actually, I didn't realize there is this difference until I started maybe experiencing it with my husband, where he will just cut through like it's normal. Like, why aren't you taking this alleyway? And I'm like, oh, wow, why do I have to think differently about the streets? And I had to then explain, well, as women, you know, it's so ingrained in us. If we don't see it being bright and we don't know who's going to be around, it's going to be dangerous. Other things I do is once I leave somewhere I'll text my husband go I'm on the way home just so he know roughly how long it's going to take but actually I don't think he realized why I was doing it (laughs) (laughs) because he thinks okay that's nice to know (laughs) and I don't think I realized what I was doing until I started really thinking about it and always have my keys ready in case I need to run into my building Mm -hmm. just in case someone's following me 
So those are the top things I've been thinking about. And then the more I think about it, it also started at a very young age at school. Like I went to school, all girls school and we got taught self-defense because, you know, one day you might get assaulted and you better know how to poke the eyes and twist the nipples and kick the balls. Yeah, same, same. I mean, that's exactly, I went to an all girls school too and we were taught self-defense. I mean, it is a great thing to learn actually for everyone. <laughs> I just remember the instructor who was a, a guy and here he is teaching a bunch of teenage girls and he's like, the importance of screaming. And he goes, and take this seriously. He goes, if someone's after you or, you know, they've got you, he goes, scream your lungs out. You need to attract attention to, to try and get that help. And then as you said, because it was and it is now, the higher percentage is actually men assaulting women. And he's like, well, what do men have that women don't have? And he's like, balls. And he goes, you know what you can do with them? Grab them in your hand. And he, and he did this action of punching them like oh, this, saying, just mince them up. That's it. Come on, girls, mince them up. So go, go women. He was like, do it. Scream and mince. I do have to wonder if they taught the same thing at boys' schools. <laughs> I mean, yes, exactly. I can see them all cringing, crossing their legs quickly. But, you know, I, I think some of the tips that you mentioned, you know, as you said, consciously or subconsciously, you do these things because you know that there's the risk there. And it makes sense for everyone to do it. But for women, there is, I feel, a, a heightened risk, obviously. And I think one of those, um, you mentioned about having your keys so you can mm. make sure you quickly get indoors. I also sometimes, as you said, if you're walking down an area where you're less familiar with it or you just feel slightly more nervous, you know, maybe the street lighting's not as well uh, lit, I'll get my keys and actually it's almost like using it as a weapon uh, because yeah. everyone has their keys on them, right? We don't normally carry around baseball bats and necessary pepper spray. So you can actually fashion it such that you put the key between, say, your index and middle finger so that's sort of sticking out and so that you have that added hey, if you need to unleash and you need to be, like, fighting someone. You need to poke the balls. <laughs> yeah, well, anything, anywhere. Not, not, not necessarily specifically <laughs> down there, but, yeah, sure. You can, you can just, you know, have that as an, an extra measure. I mean, I think it's, it's quite good. You've probably noticed yeah. it too, haven't you, Chrissy? I think we were talking about the other day that it's sort of sprung up on social media that places like Marks and Spencers and Waitrose, they've now – offered to say if you feel unsafe yeah come on in you know our, our staff will be there to support you or you know you can stay as long as you need to you feel like you're in a safe place which is you know it's quite nice to see actually no I absolutely agree I mean there were times that I noticed I was followed on the high street and I just had to turn and go into a shop because firstly I want it to be recorded there must be a camera somewhere and second of all I just need to get away from whoever was following me yeah and you and I and our, our friends, as you said, we sort of automatically do it now. We know that when we're partying and we, um, you know, okay, get home safe, but we'll say, message me when you get home because we just want to check in with each other and make sure we made it okay. Uh, it does boggle the mind sometimes, doesn't it, that we do these things and then we think it's quite normal. But as you said, you speak to your husband, he's thinking, okay, I don't I don't usually do that with my mates. <laughs> and, it's just completely different. I know. I go for a run, not very often these days as lockdown continues. But I, when I do go for a run, I'll go, oh, I'm going to, you know, run for half hour and I might take this route. So <laughs> if I don't make it back, then you know which direction to look for me. You know how fast I run? If I'm not back by then, 
it's just sensible stuff, actually, I think, at the end of the day. Let someone know where you are. But it does, I guess the thing for them is they probably think it sounds a bit macabre when you're like, this is the last known spot. You know, if anything happens, you report it. And I think they just think, really? You're going out for a 10-minute run. What's the chances? And you're like, I don't want to take a chance. That's the point. I want to, mm. I want to make sure someone knows. So, you know, obviously we're reflecting a lot on what's been going on. Has there been, you know, and I know this might be a very sensitive topic, obviously, so only share what you feel comfortable with, but have you experienced anything personally, you know, whether it be sexism, sexual harassment, assault, anything like that? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about what have I experienced. And I think it's so hard to pinpoint did something really happen or is this just everyday sexism that I'm so numb about it? I can maybe think of maybe one or two scenarios at work where I really felt, oh, that was odd. So my day job is to do research. And sometimes I do have to do home visits for safety procedure, whether you're women or men, we always make sure we work in pairs to go to someone's home. For this particular incident, I was with another male colleague. He was there to help me set up and observe the situation. We were interviewing another man. And I'm the interviewer. So I say all the questions, right? And he should be replying to me. Except he didn't even look at me the whole time. He just addressed my colleague, who is the observer. So for the whole hour, I felt, gosh, like what is going on, right? Why can't you even hear me? That level of everyday sexism. So we finished. And I actually felt a bit... um, uncomfortable about the whole situation and I was like oh am I rude if I call it out girl you should talk to me not my colleague you know what's the boundary line here so we finished we were on the way back and my colleague actually said to me go oh gosh he was really rude he didn't even look at you the whole time I'm glad he said that and I'm glad he noticed it as well yeah because he's from the LGBT community so we both wondered is it because we're both in a marginalized group if you like that we pick up on things that are a bit not normal or a bit unacceptable towards us. We actually had a really deep discussion about how we both felt about the situation. And I'm glad he picked it up. Um, and he was able to actually, when we got back to the office, said, oh, this is what happened. So I know it's not like a big assault scenario incident, but it's one of those things that women have to deal with in the workplace. Mm. What about you? Yeah, I mean, as you said, I think... So, you know, there's the term coin casual sexism, things like that. But I have had a few experiences and actually what made me think about it, because it's not like it happened regularly, but over the course of my lifetime, I think what made me really kind of address it myself and have some real sort of, you know, internal reflection on it was the Me Too movement, you know, which mm-hmm. I think everyone knows about now, or for those who don't, it's essentially it's a social movement against sexual abuse and, and sexual harassment. And it's where people actually, you know, come out and share their, their stories of what's happened to them. And again, it's sort of a way to just find the support through other people, because you don't want to feel alone when this sort of thing happens to you. And for me, I mean, I've encountered things from traveling on the tube here, mm-hmm. You know, instinctively, I thought something doesn't feel right because there was this gentleman, you know, he looked like a working professional, well, you know, heading to work. He was carrying a briefcase. But I noticed that even though it's crowded during peak hour, he kept making a deliberate point of moving closer to myself and this other woman who was standing next to me. And I just thought, yeah, something doesn't add up here. And also then he started to press up on us. So Mm -hmm. I 
had a, a like a shoulder handbag. So I brought that round to the front of me to have it as a physical barrier between him and myself. Yeah. And unfortunately, the woman next to me, I guess, because she was facing uh, the opposite way to me. So we were both up against that glass sort of barrier near the doors. And I could see he was sort of, you know, the movement of the tube swinging as if that was what was happening. But I was thinking it's just too exaggerated. You could just see it. And I have to admit, Chrissy, I feel disappointed in myself somewhat because I don't know why, but when these sorts of things happen, I tend to question myself first like am I am I seeing this wrong maybe this isn't really happening maybe it's my imagination and I know you know later I kept thinking on it and I thought no I don't think I was wrong I, I know gut wise and, and my instincts they were on par and I wish I had at the time but I didn't I should have reported it to TFL mm. because as they say the more reports they can get in then the more that they can actually monitor this sort of thing and then if there's enough coming in they can build up a picture of the perpetrator and then actually approach them so I would say to myself report it you know you may think you're wrong but you're you're probably not and actually I wish I had the chance to talk to that woman as well just to say Mm. did you feel like this was happening to you as well that this gentleman was pressing up couldn't call him a gentleman really because he's not I've had that happen and then I've had more than that happened to in terms of no I'm not saying I've, I've never been raped but um, I have been sexually assaulted when I was 21 um, and I was traveling with with my brother actually we were going through Egypt mm. and we were climbing Mount Sinai and I got to the top quicker it was in, in dawn and they have these the local guys there actually with blankets and mattresses so that you can watch the sunrise comfortably because it gets quite cold up there mm-hmm. and I just remember one of the the young men you know came over you know and I thought he was going to give me one of the blankets and everything he actually he touched me so he put his hand on my on my on my back and then my bottom and and I remember you know obviously I physically moved away but he followed me and the unfortunate thing was my brother hadn't quite made it up the mountain yet so he wasn't there uh, no one else was there actually mm. um and I did tell my brother later I said I'm so glad you're here I did tell the guy my brother's coming any minute now and my brother just said I'm I'm so so sorry to hear that and I'm so sorry that I wasn't there I mean I don't blame him I just was fast to go up the mountain but yeah that's that's sort of things have happened to me um you know have you encountered anything to that sort of degree or nature as well, Chrissy? Yeah, I'm thinking back to, I haven't really told anyone about it. I was traveling in my early 20s, my first trip around Europe with my sister. And this was in Milan in Italy. And we were walking back to the accommodation we were staying. And this is, if you've been to Milan, this is, or any Italian cities or European cities, you get the big piazza, the big plaza. Mm-hmm. And we were just cutting through that where the cathedral is. And suddenly this group of young men um, surrounded us too, instantly knew, oh, this is, this is going to be a really bad situation because there was like, I don't know, 10, 12 of them against two of us. And they started coming towards us and then groping us by the back. And I started screaming, you know, doing all the things you were taught at school, yeah. kicking, screaming. And I realised oh, my God, I don't know a single word of Italian. What am I going to do? So this went on for, maybe, I don't know, felt like eternity. And I thought, oh, this is not going to end well because how could I get out of this? We're outnumbered. 
And then suddenly this man, um, another young boy, came in and he pulled me out. But I had no idea if he was supposed to be a good character or a bad character in this situation. Mm. He pulled us out and then he started fighting the other group back. And then they just left. Wow. And I was just so thankful. If it weren't for him, I just couldn't imagine what would have happened by the end of that incident. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. But they were just, you know, joking. Like, what's the fuss? Like, have anyone ever thought about how we feel in this situation? And it's just so common, right, that it happens. Yeah. As you said, it's almost too accepted. And then they easily kind of look back at them and go, well, we're just having a bit of fun. Why are you making a big deal out of it? But as you said, it's it's scary. And it's not a nice feeling at all. And, you know, as I said, that was while you were travelling. It, it happened while mm. I was travelling. But even closer to home, these things happen. So to share one other story is, I mean, that's happened to me at my at my workplace, not mm. my current one, previous one. And it was a, a very senior manager. And I, I got to the point of being so scared and nervous that I used to physically try and avoid him in the sense of if I spotted him just down the other end of the room I would deliberately walk back out the doors go up in the stairwell just to try and go into another floor come back down another stairwell to see if I can completely avoid him that's just no way to to be is it to to walk around almost like I was doing in circles not getting my work done because I felt scared to be in the presence of this of this manager and it went further than that in the sense of it was at a you know night out event type of thing and I just remember him you know gesturing for me to come over and in front of this is in front of other people so at least there are other people around so I didn't want to be rude so, you know obviously come over because oh, you know okay better make some nice small talk but he put his arm around me you know and he pulled me in and it made me feel really sick inside. Yeah. I just was like, I need to get out of this. So I just extracted myself and was like, made my excuse and said, oh, I, you know, I better go talk to someone else. And he's made inappropriate comments to me. So wearing a dress in an office, um, he went to walk past me and then he whispered in my ear, oh, you've just reminded me why summer is so hot. What? Yeah, exactly. And I was didn't say anything. I just kept walking. But I just remember the feeling because it used to make me cry because I didn't want to go to work because I was scared and I was like, and, and I'm sure people will say, well, why didn't you report it? But, you know, Chrissy, you probably appreciate the situation. You know where you feel that these people, are, you know, they're, they're senior authority, yep. you can, obviously not so trustworthy, but I was worried about it would jeopardise me in my position. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, you can say I was scared all around. I was, I was worried about what people would think and would they think it's me? Would they believe me? So, yeah, I, I think hopefully that what you and I are sharing here, it, it does give people some strength and encouragement to, to speak out and say you aren't alone in this and you and I have been through it ourselves. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, what he was doing to you, that he was doing to many other women in the work. Yeah. And he's been doing this for years. It's not a one-off incident. It didn't just start mm. because, you know, we need to call this out at a very early stage before it gets to that. You shouldn't be feel like you can't get to work. We spent so long working in our lives. We should be safe doing that. Yeah. 
And it's just that whole power structure you mentioned, which I know you were touching on me too a little bit, but it reminds me of the book I read, She Said, which is about the investigation on Harvey Weinstein. Oh, right. About the Me Too movement, um, written by the two New York Times journalists, Jody Cantor and Megan Chewy. They were trying to piece together if there was a pattern of behaviour, the behind the scenes, what was happening in the investigation before they you know, released a newspaper article. And they were able to show all these cases, the non-disclosure agreement payments went back to the 80s, but no one said anything. It's the power behind him that kept it quiet. And that was, I think, one thing that really got to me about, oh, God, it's it's not going to be an easy battle. And another thing was they had all these evidence built up against him and they went to the editor and the editor looked at it and go, it's not enough to publish because you need women on the record Uh to come out and say this is what's happened. So thankfully, a lot of courageous women stood up and contributed to the article. But it really got to me that you could have all these evidence to show financial payments and pay off. You have the actual non-disclosure agreement that they found. They pieced together a timeline. But because there weren't any reported cases of people willing to go on the record, they weren't able to publish they didn't have enough evidence mm. to sum up it's like our silence is giving them power yeah you know let, let's it, that's obviously been a, a heavy topic and I think what we need to do is now look forward to what are we going to do for our future steps and aspirations well you know what, what do we want in terms of change there's been obviously now with all the sort of the demonstrations and protests and and all, all the women gathering together that the government here anyway has had to sit up and listen you know they can't blatantly ignore it and I think they've tried to put some things in place they've said they've allowed a a certain amount of budget to and this is (laughs) I can see you're laughing too Chris I'm glad is they're like well yes of course we'll make women um, feel safer we will install more street lighting yep yep Yep. (laughs) because um, when it comes to violence against women that's the first thing we champion for sarcasm (laughs) (laughs) and what else were they i think you mentioned it chrissy what else were they going to do other than street lighting (laughs) they're going to put um when bars are open again they're going to put some undercover cops in the bars so they can report intelligence on sexual harassment at nightclub bars and so forth back to the street level cops so then they can take action that will (laughs) that's an interesting one because i'll i'll be keen to see how they discern between what they consider is that sexual harassment and what's actually maybe, yeah, a man and woman actually just flirting with each other. And, and what happens if one of those undercover cops gets hit on? <laughs> what, what happens then? Do they report that? I don't know. Well, yeah, I guess it's exactly what you say. What does your gut say? What's your instinct? Mm. It's, it's such a fine line, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit. Oh, well, okay. I guess there's always a start, right? So we shouldn't forget that we're having conversations, women between women, but the men should be involved too. I mean, and I think that's one of the, as I said, one of the aspirations we'd really like is not to say that we are demonising men, that we're saying they're always a perpetrator. We know that's not the case. But we'd like them to be involved in the conversations and not shy away from what we're saying and and really hear what we have to say, like listen to what we say and and champion the, the changes as well. So not be sort of like just a passive spectator in it. We'd like them to speak out for on our behalf as well, just as much as we would do for them. What do you think, Chrissy? Do you think there's more that can be done? Obviously, calling out behaviour 
I think a lot of these are able to progress. So people think they can get away with it. It's because they've done it once and no one said anything. So they try again and no one else said anything. So they keep going because they know no one's going to say anything. They're more confident about it. So start calling out things that you don't think is right. I think a lot to um, the Black Lives Matter movement, you have to be anti-racist. In the same token, it's not enough to just say, well, it's not me who is assaulting women. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to have that courage and call out this is not an acceptable behavior to begin with. It's a much wider societal issue. I also think about you know, circling back to what we said at the start about we went to girls' school and we had all this education about self-defense. What about at boys' school? Do they talk about how they should respect women? What do they do if their mates display certain behavior that isn't appropriate or catcall women or say things that are insulting to women? That has to start at an early age, that whole boys' club culture. I'm sorry, it needs to go. Yeah. Exactly. I think men need to be empowered in this situation too, don't they, as you said, to be able to feel like they can speak out and particularly, and exactly what you said I was going to mention, boys club, is there's lots of phrases out there, you know, which aren't great. You probably have, you know, romances, bros before hoes, you know, all that kind of jazz is a bit like, we know we say it in jest, but we would actually hope in reality that if a guy saw one of his mates doing something which actually isn't acceptable that they would have the courage to say, hey, hey, man, you know, don't do not do that because I don't want them to feel like they're so worried about what mm-hmm. the other guys think of them, you know, that they're like, oh, I have to be cool, you know, can't pretend like we're, we're really uptight. It's like it's not about being uptight, you know. It's just simply about calling out behaviour that is unacceptable and is not okay and is making the recipient feel uncomfortable. It's the strength in them, but they have to start doing it at a young age and able to build up and say it's not right and all your friends come back you up and say this is not right rather than letting it go I feel like we talked a you know a lot about the issues for women and it's been quite a heavy topic maybe we should end with some happier things (laughs) maybe things we've watched or read recently on the topic of women that might shed some light entertainment (laughs) (laughs) well I've just finished watching Mrs America I know it's not the newest TV yes. program. It was on BBC iPlayer. And I actually really enjoyed that. Initially, I was thinking, oh, okay, how is this quite a political thing? Am I going to get it? I'm not that into politics. But it, it was really good because it focused, like each episode was sort of focused on one of the, the female mm-hmm. characters in it. And it was interesting because it had a lot of play into the, I guess the main protagonist is this uh, lady called Phyllis Schlafly. Mm-hmm. And, and she's, you know, a conservative. She sort of, she says she's a feminist, but she believes in the very much traditional home values. So women should feel like that they don't have to go out in the workplace. They should be allowed to just be mums and homemakers. But it's funny because at the same time, she is trying to pursue her political career. And well, actually, Chrissy, have you watched it all? I've started like last year. I did a couple of episodes. It's set in the seventies, um, against the backdrop of the feminist movement, yeah, isn't it? Exactly when it was in its heyday. I watched it because Kate Blanchett is in it as the main character you just mentioned. I stopped watching it because I couldn't stand it. But is it is it worth? It? Keep going. <laughs> it it is. I think the first two episodes are like not that they're bad, but it was kind of maybe a slightly harder to watch kind of thing. But after that, it snowballs quite quickly in terms of it is a lot easier, to, and it's very interesting to see what the motivational drivers are for each of the women, but particularly hers in the sense it sort of starts with her and ends with her, and it in one of those sort of ironic kind of moments, 
it's almost like what she's been championing is actually ends up sort of almost being mm-hmm. her downfall in her um, her political career aspirations. So, yeah, I, w- I would suggest trying to keep going with it. I might keep going with it. One thing I've watched recently on Netflix, I just finished it last night. It's so good. It's called Bombay Biggins, and it's about five Indian women and their um, stories around womanhood. So it ranges from a teenager who's fallen in love with a boy at school, trying to get him to notice, to a woman as the first female CEO for a major bank in India. And the everyday um, sexism she faces, men questioning her ability, men want her out. And it covers all these other issues about, can I have a career and can I have a kid at the same time? What's the balance there? So really recommended. Um, it's six episodes. It's not very long. It was a really easy watch. Okay, we'll swap TV shows then. If you have been affected by anything mentioned in this podcast, or if you require any support, we have provided links and resources in our podcast notes and social media. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, The Catch Up, to get the latest episodes. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at catchup underscore pod.